On episode 91 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, I share about Choose Your Own Adventure Assessment. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. When I was a child, I used to love reading those choose-your-own-adventure books. If you're not familiar with them, you would go to the end of a page and it would say, do you want to go to the right on the path down into the thicket by the stream? Or would you rather go to the left up into the hills? And then depending on what you chose, you got to flip to those subsequent pages and the book could be different depending on the choices you made as you went. Well, with my own teaching, I decided to put the love I had for Choose Your Own Adventure into a experiment in my teaching. And I started this last year in the spring of 2015 with my business ethics class. And at first I called it, in fact, I, I blogged about this. So some of you may have heard about this before. I called it Choose Your Own Adventure Learning. But as I reconsider that, it's really choose your own adventure assessment. And if you wanted to know more about choose your own adventure assessment, you might do well to go and listen to the episode where I talk about universal design for learning with Mark Hofer. And just as a quick recap so that you get the difference between the two, universal design for learning, as Mark Hofer shared with us, gives students opportunities to learn about a particular learning objective, a particular topic, but they can do it in different ways. Maybe they'd rather watch a video. Maybe they'd rather read an article. Maybe they'd rather engage in some other way. By the way, that was back on episode 58, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can discover a little bit more if you weren't listening back on episode 58. I really think it's inspirational and worth listening to. So again, even though I titled those blog posts choose your own adventure learning, the students in my class back in the spring of 2015 didn't have necessarily their individual choice on how they learned. They really had more choice on the way that they were assessed. I did as a class allow them to really steer the conversation as far as Would they like to have some movie nights at our home, which they very much did like to do that and and really had a wonderful time inviting them into our home? Would they like to have more guest speakers? They really did enjoy hearing from some exceptional guest speakers that semester. So as a group, they got to collaborate on how they wanted to learn, but individually, they got to choose how they wanted to be assessed. And my goals for doing this, I definitely wanted to offer them variety where they could could play more to their strengths, although there was some limit to that. I wanted to make sure that they were assessed in some consistent way on the vast majority of the learning objectives. So they did at least have to take three of the possible five 
tests that were given. And that meant that that spread them out among the modules. There were four modules in the course, and that fifth test was a comprehensive final exam. So that was one was just giving them a little bit of agency and allowing them to to take responsibility for their learning to think of it less in a transactional way and more as a way where they really could here's what I want to do I want to demonstrate my learning in this way and what I did was I put together a little bit of a graphical element that said you can choose this many exams and I had of the five exams three of them are already checked off because those are required but they could check two more if they wanted to for a hundred points apiece and this is a course out of a thousand points and then they could give presentations if they wanted to they could give up to two of them for a hundred points and they could check those off and then case studies were worth 50 points each they could select up to four quizzes weekly quizzes 100 points something called sketch notes which is a way where they read the textbook and make it visual in some way through drawing and writing some elements down we held a business ethics competition and if they competed in it they could get points they could decide if they wanted their attendance and participation to be assessed in terms of these points and then lastly some type of service learning or research project And then the second document I did, instead of just being points, looked at it chronologically so visually they could see how the different four modules broke out and then those assignments that were more comprehensive in nature. And on my blog post, which I'll link to in the show notes, the show notes are going to be available at teachinginhighered.com dot com slash 91. You're welcome to go check out the blog post I wrote and you can actually see one of the videos that the students made, which I'm really proud of. I think it went well. There certainly are some things that I would change. And in fact, I got a question on that blog post, which was how hard, how much harder is it to do choose your own adventure assessment than your normal approach to teaching? And I would say that still right now, I'm now in the second usage, my second experiment with using choose your own adventure assessment. And I would say that I don't feel like I have the grading communication down as well as I would in a normal class. And to give an example, some of the students want to take the quizzes because they want to be able to have access to those questions out of the question bank to review, help them in their studying and review process, but they don't want to be assessed. They say sometimes they may not necessarily go and look it up in the textbook. They're just trying to gain some study tools, almost as flashcards, but in this case, flash questions (laughs) that they can use. And so that part of it, it's going to look like they earned very low scores on those quizzes in terms of our learning management system, but those points aren't going to be factored in at all. And I haven't figured out how, I don't even think it's possible on an individual basis to have some sort of a grade calculation in a learning management system. I do know how to not use the lowest score on a particular category of grades. I know how to make custom calculations, but not on a student level, only on a course by course level. So that's where it is harder in the sense that I have to do a little bit of extra work. This class has tended to be pretty small in terms of enrollments because it's a three hour evening class and sometimes that scares people away and it isn't required by any of the majors, although our accounting majors to get their CPA license, a lot of them 
take it. In fact, it's a made up majority of accounting students. So I would say it's it's a little harder. This semester, I'm going to have them fill out a templated spreadsheet a couple of weeks before the semester ends so they can do some of the heavy lifting as far as projecting out what their grade will be with any blanks left in that spreadsheet for grades yet to come. And then, of course, I will go in or have my TAs go in and just double check that the information is correct. But yeah, it does get to be a little bit harder to do. I had some people ask the question about how do you handle exams when not all the students in the class will take the exam. And what I do is I just schedule the exam at the end of whatever that three-hour block was going to be, and that tends to work out pretty well. In fact, this particular semester that I'm teaching it, the students asked if they could take all of the exams and then just use their three highest grades on the exams as their points. And as I thought about it, I really thought that that was actually a really good thing to do because it doesn't hurt. I mean, yes, I have to grade some extra exams, but it doesn't hurt anything. And I think it takes away a little bit of the pressure of the exams. And then the students really can earn whatever it is they're going to earn. So I haven't had a problem with that. And that I think that's working well. I'll probably continue to do that. And therefore, because of that, all of the students have taken all of the tests so far. So that's worked out really well. I mentioned that I'm in the second time through of experimenting with this, and there there are still a couple of weak areas. I mentioned the weak area of the gradebook issue inside the learning management system, and I don't really know how to negate that other than the template spreadsheet that I plan on sending out and then having students email back to me. There are a couple of other points where it gets a little interesting. One is in terms of my own strictness with the class policies. I have mostly been strict in terms of keeping to them, but there was one individual the last semester who was about to graduate and had missed some things along the way, but otherwise had excelled in the class. I did allow him to go back and make up some of the quizzes he had missed, and that went against what the class policies was. This did not seem to be, to me, like the thing that should hold him back from graduating. That was just a choice that I made and probably would make again in terms of when these are when they're seniors it just gets a little bit tricky as far as me is do I want to have the lesson of why didn't you take the quiz on the week when you took it be what keeps them from graduating and so far I have said no although who knows maybe I'll maybe there'll be other situations down the line where I think differently and then as far as tracking goes up front I still need to improve there because what I've been doing is I've been having The students fill out those two different forms that I talked about. And again, I'll link to in the show notes, you can see samples of the forms that I've used and the one that's more based on the points that you earned. And then the one that's more based on chronologically throughout the semester. I think they might be good tools for you to adopt if you wanted to try something like this, but I have them fill them out hard copy. It actually winds up to be the second week of class because it's a lot for them to digest. They're so not used to having this kind of autonomy, and many of them just need time to process throughout that first week of the class after we've met for the first time. And I still, I've been, I collected the hard copies. I took pictures. I have a scanning app on my phone that I use that's put out by Evernote called Scannable. It's with two N's. S-C-A-N-N-A-B-L-E. And it works great because you can scan a lot of things all at once. Say you have a whole stack of these papers that somebody turned in. You just get the app running on your phone. 
and it focuses on that first document and shows that it pulled it in. And then you don't even have to press any buttons. Your phone's just still going. It, it captured the first one. You move that paper. Now you've got the second one. It captures the second one. Again, I'm not pushing any buttons on my phone. All I'm doing is flipping the pages as it captures them. And it shows you once it gets into focus, it shows you that it's captured that one. And then you can pull up the next one. Like I said, uh, move the paper that it just scanned over and grab the next one. It's really a fast way to scan. But so then I have a big PDF of all of these individual ways that people want to earn points, but I can't analyze the information in any way. So I couldn't go and say, count how many people plan on giving presentations this semester or how many people plan on taking tests on a given night. And I really do need to make this into more of a database, some kind of a form that they fill out so that then I could analyze the data in something more meaningful and save myself the step of having to scan things as well. I think I'll still use the hard copies for that first night of class because the students like seeing it visually and they say it really helps the two different versions of it. But I think in terms of my own capture and accountability for the students, I need to get it electronic in some way that would really improve, thing, improve things for me in the future. This is the point in the show where I give a recommendation. And what I'd like to recommend this week actually comes from a tweet from Peter Felton. If you're not familiar with Peter Felton, by the way, Peter, if you're listening, expect an email from me soon because I'd love to have you on the show. He's the director for the Center for Engaged Learning at Elon University. And I love his Twitter profile. It says running, eating, reading, writing, plus dance and Legos best combination ever. <laughs> and he sent out a tweet this week saying great new scholarship of teaching and learning annotated literature database with dozens of topics already and more to come. Plus you can contribute. And we go over to the link research sotl.wordpress.com, which we will have a link to in the show notes at teaching in higher ed dot com slash 91. It is an annotated literature resource for the scholarship of teaching and learning. This is a phenomenal tool. Over on the left are all of the topics and you have everything from research and annotated bibliography for social media in higher ed, the relationship between teaching and learning, reflective practice, peer mentoring, flipped classroom, blended learning, and I am just listing some of them. So a wonderful resource for us, and it looks like it is just getting started because they say more is to come, and we have an opportunity to contribute to that resource as well. And that is my recommendation that you go check it out and leverage it as a resource and consider contributing yourself. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I've got a number of great guests booked in the coming weeks. I'm so excited to introduce you to or reintroduce you to some really good stuff to come. So looking forward to you continuing to listen. And as you spread the word to colleagues about teaching in higher ed, I also hope you'll consider doing that in more of a digital way through leaving feedback on whatever service it is you use to listen to the show, whether that's Stitcher Radio or iTunes or whatever service you check it out on. You can give it a number of stars through a rating or you can give it a review. Either way works great to help spread the news about the show. Also, if you have yet to subscribe to the weekly email newsletter, what that is, is once a week, no more than that, you'll get a single email with the show notes with all the great articles and links that were talked about, including this week, 
The recommendation from Peter Felton of the Research on the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning blog. So you don't have to remember to go check it out. It'll come right into your inbox along with an article most weeks on either teaching or productivity written by me. I say most weeks because these last few weeks I was at the Lilly Conference, as those of you who listened last week already know, and I didn't do a lot of blogging. Kept the podcasting up, but the blogging has suffered a bit, but I'll get back to it. And you can expect to see future blogs and show notes coming into your inbox. You can subscribe at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And as always, I welcome your feedback. And you can give feedback on the show lots of ways. I'm on Twitter at B-O-N-N-I-208. And you can also go to teachinginhighered.com slash feedback to give feedback for future topics or guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. We've got a great guest next week and a whole bunch of ones scheduled in the future. See you soon.